Morning, family. We have a lot to do and not a lot of time to do it in this morning, and so I'm going to invite you to immediately turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, that's where we will begin this morning. Um, and while you do that, there's something that I, I feel compelled uh, to, to say to you this morning. And so while you get ready to do that, we'll take just a, a quick minute for that. Um, uh, before I get even to that, I just want to remind you that this afternoon, uh, following the end of our service, we will be facilitating a live uh, Q&A uh, with myself and our two elder candidates, uh, Joel Allardyce and Greg Leininger. Um, and so uh, you will get this information again, but I want to make sure you get it twice, okay? Um, uh, we're going to take a quick break at the end of the service. If you have kids in the nursery, we ask you to go and get them so that those who are in the nursery can be a part of this time. Uh, and, and we'll have a quick break and then we'll reconvene in about five minutes here for that live Q&A. And, uh, and uh, we'll facilitate that at that time. That will be happening at the end of the service today. And I want to let you know that, that all are, are welcome. Uh, this particular time is not a members-only time. Uh, it's for the body that's represented here today. And so uh, whether you're a member, a visitor, um, uh, if you're someone who has attended faithfully for a long time but not yet become a member, uh, this time is for you. Um, and so we will be having a members meeting uh, in a couple of weeks uh, in the evening, on Sunday evening, February 10th. Um, we'll be meeting at uh, a church just down the road at 6.30 in the evening. Uh, but this afternoon is not a members-only meeting. It is for everyone, young and old, male and female, uh, whoever's here, whoever's present. And so we welcome you guys to be a part of that this afternoon. All right, second thing. There are times, not often, not often, but there are times when in the culture and in the public sphere things take place that I believe bear mentioning from the pulpit. And uh, it doesn't happen often, uh, but it does happen. And this week, I believe, is one of those times. Uh, this week, we saw in New York City or New York State some very um, momentous things happen as it comes to the laws regarding abortion in our country. Uh, New York State is not the first to do this. Um, rather, they are, I believe, 10th in, in line in states that represent our country that now uh, allow abortion uh, full term. And, um, and there's a lot that's going on right now in the media, in social media, uh, and, and probably in coffee shops and in living rooms and in kitchens of discussion about the sanctity of life. Um, between believers and believers and non-believers and non-believers and non-believers and believers. And I believe that it is important for us today to remind ourselves that the sanctity of human life begins at conception. And the murder of the unborn child at full term is just as heinous as the murder of the unborn child who has just been conceived. Both of these are murder, 
Both of these are sinful. Both of these are wicked acts that are being carried out under our noses and by our permission every single day in our city, in our state, and in our country. And it is up to us as believers and citizens within this culture to stand for the sanctity of human life in every way that is righteously available to us. And so I want to encourage you in that. I want to exhort you to stand for the sanctity of human life. If there have been moments in your life where you have not stood for the sanctity of human life, if there are moments in your life where you have yourself participated in the murder of the unborn, I want to tell you today that the gospel is for you. That there is no sin that is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. And even that sin can be forgiven. But never should we then say, so then let me sin so that grace may abound. But rather, those who have sinned must turn from their sin, repent of their sin, and turn to Christ. And if you have participated in that wicked and evil um, sin, please, today, if, never, if you've never done it before, repent. Repent and even find somebody not a bunch of people, but maybe somebody or a couple of somebodies, sisters or brothers in the Lord that you can trust, that you know love you and care for your soul and confess to them and find healing and grace in Jesus Christ. But let us not continue to support or to participate in the wickedness of our culture. And I'll say this, there are some of us who have uh, begun to, in small ways, engage in the fight against abortion. Uh, two main ways in our own body that I know this is taking place. Uh, one is through adoption, participating in, in foster care and adoption. That is one radical way to engage in the fight against abortion in our culture. And the other way is by showing up at the abortion mills, abortion mills to preach the gospel. Both of those things are being engaged in by people in our body. And I commend those things with all of my heart. And as much as you are able in the way that God leads you, I want to encourage you to participate in those things or maybe other ways that God uh, gives you creative insight in ways that you can participate in the fight against this in our culture. It is wrong, it is sin, it is wickedness, it is evil. And our nation is right now being judged because of it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And we cannot just turn a blind eye and ignore it. We must pray, we must intercede, and where we can, we must engage with the gospel. To, because, hear me, the gospel is the only thing that can change this for our culture. Amen? Amen. In order for that to happen, we need faithful men in the church, leading God's church, not just here, but all across our nation. And so, um, praise God, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is elders. We're in our third week 
of a series on biblical eldership simply called Elders, Jesus, Shepherds, His Church. And so we're going to be looking this morning at beginning at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. We have several uh, texts that we're going to be looking at this morning, and so we're going to move quickly. Uh, this is not going to be uh, comprehensive, but it is going to be, um, well, let's put it this way. This is rather comprehensive. It's not in-depth this morning, okay? We will be rather comprehensive, but not necessarily in-depth. And so there's much more that we could go to, much more that we could plumb the depths of, but we are broadly, comprehensively going to be talking about the qualifications of elders this morning. And uh, perhaps even through what we talk about this morning, it may inform some of the questions that you have uh, for us uh, in the live Q&A this afternoon. We're going to be reading 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. Let's do that together this morning. And at the end of that reading, I'll say that this is the word of the Lord and invite you then to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's begin. Excuse me, we, we are going to be reading verses 1 through 7, uh, not 1 through 11. My, my apologies, 1 through 7. Let's begin. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we're talking about how Jesus shepherds his church. And we're in week three of this series on elders. And really it wasn't until the end of last week that we really even began to hone in on anything that really had anything to do with elders. Uh, we started the first week very simply by seeing uh, clearly that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the true personal and present leader of His church, His people. Then last week we primarily saw that for all time Jesus has shepherded His people through the offices of prophets, priests, and kings. Offices that He Himself has fulfilled as our true and better prophet, priest, and king himself and is now himself mediating for us before the Father as the one who speaks a better word. He speaks a better word. He has made atonement. His sacrifice makes atonement for us and he has not only provided for and received but now hands out the justice of God, And that's how we can kind of very broadly, simply see Jesus fulfilling the offices of prophet, priest, and king for us. And then right at the end of last week, we saw that in temporal form, in temporary fashion, 
Jesus has set up officers on earth, leaders in his church who continue to speak his words, to administrate the sacraments that represent his atonement, and to deliver his discipline. And as we took a brief look at Hebrews 13, 17, and this call for us as believers and members of his church to submit to and to obey our leaders in the church as they watch over, excuse me, as they watch over our souls. And so now today, starting here in 1 Peter, and we're going to move eventually into Timothy, uh, we see today the way here that Peter speaks of these leaders whom here he calls elders, those who are exercising oversight, and we can begin to see how Jesus uses these, and I'm going to use a, a term here, under-shepherds, okay? He uses under-shepherds to lead and shepherd his church as what Peter explicitly calls here Jesus as the chief shepherd, and so he, we see here Peter refer to Jesus as chief shepherd. And then we see him refer to these elders who are exercising oversight and are also being called to shepherd the flock that is among them. And they are not exercising that oversight as chief shepherds themselves, but rather as shepherds under the chief shepherds, hence the unbiblical word of under shepherds. Okay, do you follow me there? So Jesus uses these elders, these under-shepherds, to lead and shepherd his church. So the question is, how does Jesus shepherd his church? Well, it's not through hyper-enlightenment and fuzzy feelings. Okay? Uh, there, there, is no, there is no call for one of these um, under-shepherds to go away into a closet and cross their legs and hold out their arms and hum funny sounds and wait for a lightning bolt of enlightenment to strike them so that they can come and say, Thus saith the Lord. No, we say, Thus saith the Lord, every single week when we open up the Word of God. And from Scripture we deliver the words of God, the Word of Christ, to His people, speaking His words, not words that we have come up with on our own, but words that have been delivered to us from Christ himself. Hence Hebrews 1 last week at sundry times in various ways God spoke to us through the prophets but in these days he has spoken to us through his own son. And so what we see here through scripture is that Jesus leads his church through the administration of his word through scripture by the spirit and through faithful disciples that we call elders and deacons, which are the offices that we see in the church today. And, and we are not going to be delving into deacons this morning. We're going to be focusing specifically on elders. But I will say that we are in a place of needing not only more elders here at Redemption Hill, but also more deacons. And so we will have time to get to that at a later time. But everything in order. And so my hope is that by the end of today, you will be able to see plainly from the text of Scripture that we look at today that essentially the church today is led by faithful men who are grounded in the Word and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit who do several things. I'm going to give you six very simple things that we're going to see from the text today. 
One, they desire to serve the church of Jesus in this capacity. Two, they exemplify godly character. Three, they can teach the Bible. Four, they lead their families well. Five, they are established believers. They're not, they're not new converts. And six, they are men. They are male. And I believe that we're going to see all six of these things from the text of Scripture as we continue. But before we return to this main text, let's ask the question about elders. Where, where did this come from? How, how did we go from Jesus and his disciples to Paul and Timothy and Titus and these elders and people, Peter and these things? How did we get here? Where did this come from? So I want to remind you that there, in the New Testament there are several words for the same office in the New Testament. So we have elder. That's, that's the word primarily that we're going to be using is the word elder because that's the word that we use in our body. It's what uh, we call it. It's what's in our documents. It's what's in our constitution and our bylaws. And so primarily when we talk about this, we're going to use the word elder, which is a biblical word. Also, the New Testament would use uh, two words interchangeably, pastor or shepherd, uh, and also bishop or overseer, depending on your translation. And so all of those words, elder, pastor, shepherd, bishop, overseer, are really referring to the same office of elder that we're going to be talking about this morning. And so the first elders, as we look at Scripture, really were the apostles. They were, uh, even in, a, in, a, in an elevated sense of eldership, they were the apostles of the church, the one who are leading the church. In the Great Commission, Jesus passes his own shepherding of disciples' mantle to the apostles, to his disciples. As the church grew and as it expanded geographically, and as new churches were planted by the apostles, they passed this same authoritative shepherding of disciples' mantle onto other faithful men. But it was not, they were not to lead in the same way as the apostles had led, but rather were fulfilling a different kind of office for the church. And then we see this really come into play in Acts chapter 6 where we see the role of deacon kind of be separated out in the New Testament. And so if you look at Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7 is where we really begin to see this play out. The first deacons also were other disciples who stepped up to literally serve the community of faith in a time of crisis. In fact, that's what the word deacon means. It, it literally means servant. And we can see as we read, for example, in Paul's letter to Timothy, that this office and role of deacon continued from this time in Acts chapter 6. But we're going to see here in Acts 6, 1 through 7. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution, which is wrong. It shouldn't have happened, but it was. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word, preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so we see here that the apostles knew that in their job of oversight over the whole community of faith, that their attention, their focus needed to be on preaching the word of God and prayer. And it is awesome that at the end of this passage, we see God blessed that effort. What does it say? The word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many even of the priests became obedient to the faith. So in spite of the conflict and suffering and disobedience already at work in the early church in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, people are still being saved, brought to the faith by the preaching of the gospel. And so why is this focus on the preaching so important? Well, it's important because as Paul says in Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Um, and again in 1 Corinthians 1.21, that it's by the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. And so did tables need to be served? Yes, they did. There were people who needed to be served in the church. But the primary function for the apostles and those who were leading the church needed to be on the ministry of the word. Why? Because if we feed people's bellies but don't feed them Christ, we have failed as the church. We have failed as the church. And this continues to happen. Acts 6-7, we see it here, and the word of God continued to increase. Acts 12-24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 13-49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Acts 19-20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So what happened? As the apostles and other elders began to focus on the ministry of the word, God blessed that. And as the word went out, people were saved. People were made obedient to the word of Christ. And the word of the Lord increased throughout the whole region. And what happened as that happened? People who needed to be served were served by the community of faith that was built there by the gospel, by Christ. What's interesting to note here, just, just in passing quickly, I, I, I love this. Um, two of the men mentioned here is the first deacons, Stephen and Philip. Uh, though here we see them being assigned this task of sort of, you know, waiting tables and they accept it gladly and willingly. Uh, if we look at what we know about Stephen and Philip as we carry on in the text, these guys didn't just wait tables. Um, uh, these two men would go on to be the greatest witnesses in the book of Acts. Stephen becomes the first ultimate witness by becoming the first martyr. And it's interesting because in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, uh, you will receive power when that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses first in Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the world. We, we know that verse. Did you know that the word witness there is the Greek word martis? 
It's the Greek word martis. And so Jesus tells the disciples that they're going to be his martis. And the word became associated with witnessing to the point of death, which is why we get our word martyr from there. Uh, and Stephen became the first martyr. God uses Philip, this other deacon, to preach the gospel from the book of Isaiah uh, to an Ethiopian eunuch who was part of the royal court of the queen of the Ethiopians. And this eunuch, uh, according uh, to what Scripture says, was in charge of all of her treasure and both tradition of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church and the writings of Asubius and his ecclesiastical histories trace the origin of the church in Africa to this single convert. So Philip leads this man to the Lord. He goes back to the court in Ethiopia and history shows us that the church was established in those early days in Africa and, and tradition and history point back and trace back and say the only reasonable explanation for this is this one convert that Philip led to the Lord uh, on that day. I love that. It's awesome. Uh, these deacons, servants of the church, were not just busboys. They were full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And so as we progress through the rest of the New Testament, we see that this structure is, remains. Never did the, did the apostles uh, get together. We don't get to, to midway through Acts. We get to the Jerusalem Council, and they don't get together and say, wow, guys, uh, we really missed it. Let's rethink that elder and deacon thing. Uh, but rather, we see elders and deacons being appointed in the church. The majority of the New Testament epistles were written to the churches in geographical areas for which they derived their names. To the book of the Corinthians, uh, uh, the Ephesians, the Philippians. But they're often addressed to the elders of those churches. And many passages address how more elders and deacons are meant to be chosen to serve and lead the church of Jesus under the direction of the scriptures and by the Spirit. And so why, why do we keep the titles of elders and deacons? Aren't those, isn't that kind of archaic? I mean, we don't, we don't really run around using those words anymore today. Couldn't we just use, you know, leaders? That's a more modern word. Couldn't we just say the leaders of the church? And, and there's a sense in which we may refer to elders as the leaders in the church. But we, why are we retaining that title? Well, there are times when in trying to describe things that the Bible talks about that we may come up with other words to help us describe things or doctrines to label them for clarification when we're speaking about them. Uh, an example, probably the most important example, is the word trinity. Uh, the word trinity is not in the Bible. It's an unbiblical word in that sense, in the sense that it is not contained in Scripture. But it is a very biblical word in that it represents what is in Scripture. And Trinity means tri-unity. And so we see God being represented to us as one in three. And, and so in trying to uh, use a verbiage in a, in a vernacular and a, and a, and a, and a common uh, vocabulary to be able to discuss the things that are contained within Scripture, we use this word that's not contained in Scripture, Trinity, to describe what is contained in Scripture, and it's very helpful. But when there is 
a biblical word for something. Clarity comes not from using a different word, but from actually using the word that Scripture gives us. And so, why keep elder and deacon? Well, we keep elder and deacon because rather than coming up with some other seemingly clever titles or labels, when you read your Bibles and you read elder and deacon, we want you to be able to go, oh, that's what an elder and a deacon are supposed to be like. Because you won't find a pastor's council in the New Testament. But you do find elders and deacons. And so when you read your Bible, we want you to be able to see that. Like I mentioned before, your Bible at times may also translate the title for elders, overseer or pastor, but they're all referring to the same role as elder. So today, again, our focus is on elders. And, and so let's go back to our original text of 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to quickly kind of make our way through what Peter is saying here. And then we'll spend the rest of our time in 1 Timothy 3. And before we kind of like really dive into this kind of line by line, I, I want to just say this. There, there may be some of you this morning um, who where at this point it might be easy for you to kind of check out. You might say to yourself, well, well I'm never going to be an elder, so why... Why pay attention? Ladies, you're, you're never going to be an elder at Redemption Hill. Um, I pray that you find great solace and comfort in that. Um, this is not a time for you as, as ladies to check out. It's important for you to know what Scripture says about what an elder is meant to be. Uh, those of you who are men who right now are going, well, I'll never be an elder, I... I would challenge you not to accept that kind of a, a mentality or an attitude, um, but rather leave that to the Lord to decide um, and recognize uh, what is the interesting thing that we find about elders and, and even deacons as we look at the qualifications in Scripture is that there's nothing that an elder or a deacon is called to that the lay Christian person is not also called to. <laughs> there, there, there isn't this extra thing really. There, there's only two things that separate in qualification an elder from any other lay Christian in the church as far as the, the way in which we're called to live. One is to actually desire to be an elder and the other is to be able to teach. That's really it. And so as we go through these qualifications, you need to remember Paul is continually saying to the church and to their elders, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And these things I've taught you teach to faithful men who will teach it to others. And, and, and so essentially what we're supposed to do is say, guys, imitate us as we imitate Christ. And, and, and so the, the lives that we're called to live in qualification is not a standard that we're meant to try to live up to in order to become an elder. It's, it is the way of the Christian life that we're all called to live. And so as we go through this, I, I would encourage you to take an inventory of your life. 
man and woman, young and old, take an inventory of your life and say, is my life measuring up to this? Now, I will tell you right from the get-go as I've been preparing for this, you know, these are things that I have to have in front of me fairly often. Uh, but it's been, it's been some months before I sat down and really went over these things again. And, and even this week, I'm taking an inventory and finding myself overwhelmed, saying, good Lord, help me. <laughs> okay? So what do we do when we get to that point? That's where Jesus comes in. And that's where we're going to get to by the end of this. So as, as you start taking inventory, if you, if you start to feel overwhelmed, I want you to know, like, I'm, I'm there with you, okay? So let's, let's enter into that tension together. Let's endure that tension together for a time. And, and then let's remind each other of the gospel this morning. Amen? All right. I also want to say this. Uh, these are things that all believers are called to, and it's not to say that elders will perfectly keep all of these things all the time, but rather that men who are elders are men who are committed to these things and are quick to admit their failings and their shortcomings and are men who are committed to walking in confession and repentance and reconciliation. Now, is there a way of failing that disqualifies a man? Yes, there is, okay? And so those are things that need to be dealt with very purposefully and carefully. Uh, there may even be times when leaders in the church, hear me, need to step down from roles of responsibility so that they can focus on growing in one or more of these areas. That should not have to mean that that person leave the church but rather the hope is that they can receive the same care and shepherding from the remaining elders and deacons that they had been a part of administering before. And that's incredibly important. So while these are listed as qualifications for elders and deacons specifically, it is in that they are held to a higher standard of accountability before all men, before all the brethren to be assessed and tested to prove their worthiness in a way that not every believer is asked to do. But hear this. We are, all of us, called to live out these things. And we are, all of us, accountable to the Lord who is the final judge of all. And while that can sound a bit daunting, it can sound a bit scary, my prayer is at the end of the day today, we will see how that Jesus has supremely led and served us in these very ways that elders are called to serve the body. Ways that we will find great hope in our mediator and will boldly run together to the throne of grace as we approach the communion table this morning. Amen? All right. So Peter starts out, verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you. And so right off the bat, the first thing I want you to see is he says, I exhort the elders. It's, it's plural. There, there is an S there, the elders among you. Elders are not people who have achieved some kind of greater enlightenment or a higher caste of believer. While they are required not to be new converts, 
They are still sinners saved by grace and need to be reminded of that regularly. So Peter says, shepherd uh, I, I, to the elders among you. They, elders are meant to be with the people. <laughs> they're not meant to be above the people. Uh, they're not meant to be below the people. The, the elders are part of the people. We, we are sheep just like the rest of the sheep, and we still need Jesus. Elders still need Jesus. They need the gospel. They need the sacraments. They need discipline. They are sheep chosen from among the sheep to lead sheep, and as such, they should smell like sheep. They shouldn't be separate and secluded away from the rest of the flock. And so Peter says, the elders among you. And again, it is elders, plural, the Bible teaches a plurality of elders. It is not meant to be singular and never should be for very long. And, and, and so right out the gate, we got to go, well, wait a minute, what's going on here at Redemption Hill? Yeah, right now we are in a crisis of eldership. We are down to one elder, myself. Um, and, and, and I want to I say something very clearly. Um, Never in my life have I been closer to burnout than I am right now. Um, I say that with all honesty and with all faith and hope and trust in my King, Jesus Christ, to sustain me. And I'm not planning on going anywhere or doing anything. But the last several months have been difficult. And, and not difficult because of workload. When I talk about that immediately, people are, oh, what can I take off your plate, pastor, so that you don't have to do this or that action item? And it's not workload. It is an emotional burden uh, to lead the church of Jesus Christ. And it is not something that should be done alone. And it is not something that I desire to do alone for any longer than is absolutely necessary. And so I'm thankful that God has provided men who desire the office, um, who I believe we will see are biblically qualified uh, to take on that burden together with me. Um, and I think it's important for us as a church to, to recognize and understand that dynamic in the body right now. Um, but there may be times of starting out where a solitary elder shepherds a fledgling church. But as that church grows and as needed, elders should be chosen from among the flock. What if no one's qualified? Well, it doesn't mean just appoint someone for the sake of appointing someone, and we can't do that either. Uh, but it means to train in godliness, to disciple and it's our desire that as God grows and multiplies the flock here at Redemption Hill to train up and disciple those who will be chosen from among us to shepherd and serve the flock as elders and deacons. I will say that um, one of my desires is to develop a growth track um, for men in our church who can go through some of the same things that we've been going through with our elder candidates now so that we don't end up in another crisis of eldership, but rather already know that we have qualified and approved men within the body who, who are, are ready. Um, and I'll say this, um, should we ordain both Joel and Greg in the coming weeks, uh, that will raise us from one to three. That's where we should have been already. 
uh, at that point, you need to hear this, we will still need more elders <laughs> from the word go. And, and so that is within our, our view and our sight. So if you see that, I want you to know that we see that as well. And so Peter says here what? He says, shepherd the flock. What is he saying? He's saying lead them. That, that really is the goal, is, is that they would be led. And how are they to lead? Primarily, back to Acts chapter 6, through the ministry of the Word. Well, how does that work? Well, it's interesting. Though you can uh, go throughout the world, shepherd, shepherd in different ways. Um, my time I spent in Africa, I learned that shepherding in Africa is done from behind. Uh, often uh, young shepherd boys will, will have two long sticks and they will shepherd sheep and goats from behind, kind of giving them a crack from behind with, with two sticks. But in Jesus' day, in Israel, the way that shepherds shepherded was out in front. Which is why Jesus say, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. Because that's how shepherds in that place shepherded by out in front calling their sheep and the sheep knew them and would follow them. And if it wasn't their shepherd, they wouldn't go anywhere. It's pretty amazing. And how has God called the elders to lead? By proclaiming the word of Christ. Why? Because Christ's sheep know his voice and they follow him. Amen? So he calls us to lead. How? Through the ministry of the word. And then he says, exercise oversight. That means that, that to a certain degree and not completely, not like we have a crystal ball. Not, we, don't, we don't get our Bibles and go, oh, what's happening in the flock today? That doesn't work, okay? Not saying I've tried it. It just doesn't work, okay? But again, he says, shepherd the flock among you. And, 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 and so the elders should be among the people enough to, to be able to, at times, and, and the way that I talk about it, we talk about it most often, is have a pulse. Like, have, have a pulse for what's going on in the body. Now, do we do that perfectly all the time? No, we don't. But, but we should desire to know what's going on among the sheep. That's why so many times when people say, hey, I don't mean to to bother you or to burden you by letting you know what this is going on in, in our missional community or in my marriage or in our family or, or what's happening in the church. It's not a bother. It's not a burden because that's, that's part of how we exercise oversight is simply by knowing what's going on in the body. It doesn't mean we want to be up in everyone's business. No, thank you. <laughs> um, but to a certain degree, we should be able to have a pulse for what's going on in the church. He says that this isn't something that should be done under compulsion. In other words, an elder shouldn't be saying, well, this is something I have to do. Oh, I have to do this elder stuff. No, it's something that we get to do, we're privileged to do as a part of Christ's church. We should willingly, he says willingly, you should want to do it. Why, he says, as God would have you. Why? Because God's not pleased with begrudging leaders. Those who are just, oh, no one else is going to do it. I guess I'll get on with it. No, God's not glorified in that kind of leadership. But those who are willingly, that's why, again, we'll see later, there's 
that having a desire to be in that office is actually part of the qualification. Hey, you, guess what? you got to want to do it. Then he says what? He says that they shouldn't be doing this. Okay, 1 Peter 5, verse 2, towards the end, not for shameful gain. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Meaning that it is an honor worthy of itself. That... that that we're not doing it for some kind of other greater honor than, than the honor it is itself to be a part of Christ's church and to be called to be a part of the ministry of His Word. And he says, not domineering. Not domineering. What does this mean? It means not, it's not about exercising power over people, but rather serving them. Sometimes there's a distinction. Oh, the servant, that's deacon, diaconos, servant, serve. Yeah, that's what it means. But an elder is still a servant. And the role of an elder is to be a servant of the people of God. And he says, be an example. Again, this gets into what I was saying earlier. Come follow us as we follow Christ. Come imitate us as we imitate Christ. Yes, we, we are meant to be an example. This does not mean that elders are called to be perfect. Jesus is the perfect one, but we are striving in every area to be more like Him as you should be. And then what does Peter say? When the chief shepherd comes. This is a reminder over and over again that, that the elders are not the ultimate leaders of the church. They are under shepherds. There is a chief shepherd. There is someone that we are accountable to as well, and it is to Christ. And then he calls to the people. He says, be subject to the elders. Submit to the elders as unto the Lord. There's, there's this same kind of idea here as there is in Ephesians 5 when Paul calls wives to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. It's, it's not... Submit to them when you agree with them. It's not submit to them when you think they've got it right. It's not submit to them uh, when you like them. It's submit to them as unto the Lord. Why? Because they are the ones that He has placed over you. Are they going to get it perfect every time? No. They're not. And that's why you need to pray with them and deal gracefully with them and be patient with them and long-suffering with them but at the end to submit to them as unto the Lord. Then he says to all of them, both those leading and those being led, clothe yourselves in humility. Clothe yourselves, all of you, he says, with humility in verse 5. That, that if we're going to exist in this place, and I mean, think about this for a second, okay? They're a group of sheep. And out of the group of sheep, some sheep are chosen not because they're better than the other sheep, but just chosen out of the other group of sheep to lead the sheep. From a worldly perspective, can we see what could possibly be wrong with that? Well, yeah, from a worldly perspective, well, why did they get to do it? Why not me? Well, they haven't been here as long as I have. No, that's not what it's about. And so Peter is saying, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Why? Because we have to recognize, hey, we're just sheep. We're just all sheep. All sheep. Equal value, different roles. And we're called to fulfill those roles as faithfully as we can. 
And he says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is a grave warning and a beautiful promise. (laughs) A grave warning and a beautiful promise. We will all battle submission to authority from time to time. And we need to be clothed in humility in order to receive the grace of God to walk in that kind of submission. But know this, when we refuse to submit to the elders God has given us, we are not just refusing to submit to them, we are refusing to submit to God. Now, are there times when those who are in leadership over the church abuse that leadership? Yes. Should they just be submitted to? No. But as much as your elders are as faithfully as they're able, trying to lead biblically, um, godly, in a godly way, even if you don't agree with them at every point, you don't get to have your hashtag not my elder time. Okay? You're still called to submit. And, and again, remember this, you're not called to submit to a elder. You are called to submit to the elders. And again, that's why, that is why, church, the plurality of elders is so important. Because each of these men are going to have different gifts and different passions, different bents and different ways that God has wired them. And it's not in submitting to one or the other. It's in submitting to these men that God has placed over us. Amen? There's another implication of this text and others we're looking at today and expects that you are walking in membership of a local congregation, a place where you can know and be known, a place where you can live in a rhythm of confession, repentance, and reconciliation. And you cannot walk in obedience to this part of Scripture unless you are in fact in submission to church Elders to local church elders. There's no sort of like you get to be in your own sort of category of the church. In order to be obedient to this part of scripture, it, it, it means that you would have to be in submission to local elders. What does this mean? Well, praise God for technology that allows the reach of the gospel to spread out in ways never fathomed. But hear this, online church doesn't count as a replacement for real Christian community. Podcast pastor is not your pastor. He might be a better preacher, (laughs) okay? But he's not your pastor. He cannot walk with you through the trials of life. And so, so, hear me, podcast, go for it. YouTube, dive into it. But... Learn, glean, and be connected in a local church body. Submit to elders and leaders for your good so that you can grow in maturity as God by the Holy Spirit uses His church to sanctify you and to form you into the image of Christ through His Word. Okay? All right. Yes, we are called to submit. Hebrews 13, 17, 18. We looked at it last week. And what what does the writer say? Pray for us so that we may do this uh, we, have, we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. We're called to submit, but those that we are called to submit to, they are 
watching over our souls as those who have to give an account. And I can tell you that's scary sometimes. And sometimes it's not as scary as it should be. This should keep us humble and remind us that we cannot do this in our own strength and wisdom. And that's why here, sorry, in Hebrews 13, the writer will say, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Here's what I want to say here. Help us help you. Help us help you. Okay? We cannot read your minds. The little thing doesn't work. Okay? And here's the truth. Each elder cannot be best friends with every person in the church. I wish we could. We are not humanly capable of that. God has not given any one of us here the capacity of being able to be best friends with everybody here. And as we grow, that becomes exponential. And so if you need help, speak up. You have not because you ask not. Ask for it. Let me tell you something. My Bible does not say, call Joe today. But do you know what your Bible does say? In James chapter 5, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him. So there's nowhere here that says, I need to call you, but it does tell you to call me. Okay? That doesn't mean I'm never going to call you. But what I'm saying is, if you need help, ask for it. If you've asked for it and you're waiting, ask again. Be patient, be long-suffering. And if you haven't expressed the direness of your need, then express it so that we know. Help us help you. And again, I remind you what it says in Hebrews 13, 18. Pray for us. And can I just say that? Please pray for us. Can you do that? Pray for us daily. Do whatever you have to do. Write it in your Bible. Put it on a prayer list if you have one. Make one if you don't have one. Put it on your refrigerator. or Write it on your mirror when you... I don't know. Pray for us. We need it. I need it. Pray for your church. Pray for Redemption Hill. Pray for elders. Pray that God would call deacons. Pray for your leaders and petition the Father on our behalf for strength and grace and wisdom. Pray for our wives and for our families. Pray that God would provide for our needs as we seek to serve His church. And for those of you whom I know already do that, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's an honor. It's an honor and privilege to serve this family. And I love you. I love Redemption Hill. Okay, so let's quickly go to 1 Timothy 3. Okay? 1 Timothy 3, some specifics beyond what Peter laid out. In 1 Timothy 3, and it's mimicked in Titus chapter 2, we have these qualifications for eldership again. Paul's writing now to Timothy, he says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, 
sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, any, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So again, uh, 1 Timothy 3, sorry, Titus chapter 1, not 2, I said 2 earlier. Titus chapter 1, we have these qualifications for eldership, but the most extensive one is here in 1 Timothy 3. And so again, I'll remind you what I said at the beginning, what we're seeing from the text, from Peter, from, Tim, from Paul speaking to Timothy here, six main things I want you to point out. One, that there must be a desire to serve the church of Jesus in this capacity. Two, what these things represent is an exemplif exemplification of godly character. They exemplify godly character. Three, they can teach the Bible. Four, they lead their families well. Five, they are established believers. And lastly, they're men, they're male. Okay? And so the first thing we see is that Paul tells us that there is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This means, most importantly, this speaks to the fact that if someone is going to be an elder, the first qualification is they actually have to desire that role. We, we shouldn't have to come and coerce someone. And, oh, please, oh, please, won't you come be our elder? Oh, please, won't you come do No, they, they should actually desire to want to serve God's church in that way. And so this means that there will be some men who meet the following qualifications of godly character and leading their family, their men, their, their established believers. They can even maybe teach the Bible. But God hasn't actually given them a desire to serve the church in that way or to take on that responsibility of watching over the souls of the people as those who have to give an account. And that's okay. It's all right. Um, now, there may be some who mistake fear for a lack of desire. But whether because of fear or lack of desire, it's something to be considered and walked through in prayer. The next thing that I want to draw your attention to is that he says, he desires. <laughs> Very simply, again, implied. It's a man. It's he. He desires. Now, there are times in the Bible when the masculine pronoun is used in such a way that it denotes a generality for all people. And so there are times in the Bible where in English it'll say he, but in the translation it really means kind of everybody. But I want you to know that here it doesn't mean that. It is specifically a male pronoun. And so Paul means that specifically the office of elder is reserved for men. And we can verify this by just going back one chapter to chapter 2. If you, if you have to turn the page or just look on the same page there at 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 14, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. transgressor. So, one of the qualifications for an elder, we'll see in a moment, is that they must be able to teach. 
we see Paul did not permit a woman to teach. Not because he supposed her unable. Not because women in that day were not educated. Not because they weren't emotionally capable. But simply because God created man first to be the head and the leader of the family. And Paul points pre-fall. He points pre-fall to the creative order and lets us know that God had a creative order. It was not happenstance, but rather God expected Adam to lead Eve. He did not, which is why we needed a new federal head of which Jesus is now the head. And as in the home, so in the church, God has called the men to accept the mantle of eldership to lead the church and the responsibility to watch over the souls of the people. And hear me, this is a grace to woman. It's not a slight or even a punishment. Rather, it points to the fact that God has always intended man to lead. Men, lead your families. Lead your wives. Be the spiritual leader in your home. Step into your God-given Role. Amen? So we must see that an elder must be a male, a man. Then we see in verse 2, above reproach. What does this mean? Does it mean an elder must be perfect? No, it can't. Why? Because no one is, except for Jesus. Otherwise we'd have no elders. Okay? Jesus is perfect and he has served us and is serving us as the chief shepherd. As Peter said, he is perfect. He is the one who holds us, leads us perfectly. All of our confidence must be in him and him alone, not in any elder, pastor, deacon, teacher, so-called prophet. Jesus alone never fails. Can I say that again? Jesus alone never fails. Amen? Above, above reproach means that there are no ongoing patterns of sin that would bring into question the integrity of the eldership of the church or to compromise the message and mission of the gospel or to, or to defame the name of Christ in any way. So this means that this speaks to a person's reputation. When it comes to assessing someone for eldership or deaconship, part of what we'll ask is, is this what this person is known for? Are they known for this? And remember, because these things that elders are being held accountable for publicly, you are accountable, you are accountable for them too before God. So we can each ask, what am I known for? Am I known for these things? If not, why? What idols or things are standing in the way of me exemplifying these things in godly character? Now, in cognizance of the time, I want to just say this. As you continue down the list, you will see exactly what I said earlier. Men who desire to lead the church in this capacity, who exemplify godly character, who can teach the Bible, who lead their families well, and are established believers, is really what is the biblical qualification for eldership. Now, can we dig deeper into each of these things? Yes, we can. We can and we should. And even those who are 
set apart as elders should be growing in each of these areas. And so if they're able to teach, it, it, it should likewise kind of counterpart mean that they're able to learn. And not only able to learn, but want to learn, that they themselves are learners and are learning, growing in what it means to teach uh, the Bible. That, that these areas would not be things that we say, oh, we finally attained some kind of standard and now we can just sit back because we've already got there. But in each of these areas, these men should be growing in these things. And I'm thankful for that. Because what that means is that the church of Jesus matures much in the same way that we individually mature. Well, how do we individually mature? Well, let me ask you this. Does, does God come and every single part of your life that is out of line and out of order, does he dump all of that on you all at once and say, this is it? No, if he did, we would be overwhelmed. It, when, when, we, when we do the confession... Remember we say that, that we're confessing things that we have said and things we haven't said. Things that we have done and things that we haven't done. And it doesn't even say that we have to know that we did or didn't say the right thing or did or didn't do the right thing. Because there are areas in each of our lives where sometimes we may not even know yet that we're sinning in that way. Areas of our lives where we may not even know yet that that's an area that we haven't really surrendered to the Lord. And what does God do? He faithfully, through the preaching of His Word, through His sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, conforming us to the image of His Son, begins to bring those things to our attention. And He faithfully brings them and brings them and brings them. And if I knew everything in my life that was not according to the Word of God, I would be undone, literally unmade if I knew just how unholy I really am. But what does God do? He faithfully brings us those things. Now, let me ask you this. Am I accountable for everything that I've done or not done, whether I knew or did not know it? Yeah. You betcha. You bet I am, and so are you. But God saves us and then he keeps saving us every single day as he conforms us into the image of his son. And so I'll remind you that all of this can be fairly heavy. And if you carry on through the list, and I encourage you to go through. I'm not going to keep going through the list. It's all there. I'll remind you that beyond the desire to hold the office and the ability to teach, there's not much more here that any member of Christ's church could beg out of. These lists of qualifications are really a reflection of what Christian character is supposed to look like as one who is being transformed by the renewing of their mind through the washing of the water by the word, being conformed to the image of the Son by the Spirit. And so hear me as we close this morning. In ways, in the ways that sometimes we don't look like this. And so I, I need this this morning. 
in the ways that sometimes I don't look like these things that Paul's telling Timothy that are the qualifications for eldership. I must remember, you must remember, we must remember that Jesus is all of these things for us. And as our true leader, he is serving us by leading the way here as well. And so I want you to think about it quickly. Hear me. Jesus, and you can look right here at 1 Timothy 3, Jesus is above reproach. Not even his enemies could say a bad word about him. Jesus is the husband of one wife, the church, and even willingly gave up his life for her. Jesus is sober-minded, and though he is equal with God, he did not count that equality as something to be attained, but emptied himself for our sake. He became poor that we might become rich, and he died that we might live. He is, Jesus is truly self-controlled and spirit-led. Jesus is respectable more than any other person in history who keeps his word. Jesus has welcomed and loved the stranger by loving us even when we were his enemies. He has bathed us in baptism, bound our wounds by his own blood, which is the healing balm of Gilead for our souls. He has poured out the oil of his spirit to restore us and even clothed us in his own robes of righteousness and presented us to his own father to be adopted as co-heirs. Jesus is the perfect teacher. And Jesus is a friend of sinners, yes, but never a drunkard. Not violent, but gently wooing us by his kindness and loving us by telling us the truth about ourselves and lifting us up out of the muck and the mire. Jesus is not quarrelsome, but he is loving. And he manages his house, his church, well. He makes his children obedient. And Jesus has been tried and tested by time. He holds time in his hands. He is the ancient of days. He stepped into time and divided it. And while many have been able to say a bad word about his followers throughout the ages, and even those who have led his church, no one has been able to say a true bad word against Jesus. And the best news is that Jesus himself speaks a better word over us. And praise God, it is his word that counts. Amen? So how are you doing? Are there things in this where you're not living up to the standard? Cry out for grace and forgiveness and receive it right now this morning as you come to the table and remember your Christ crucified for you and on your behalf risen for your justification. Are there things here that you are saying, God, I cannot do this unless you help me? And for the record, I hope that's what you leave every Sunday feeling. God, I can't do this unless you help me. It's kind of the point. 
hear me. Me too. And so let us ask God, let us ask the God of God's that by His Spirit He may equip us, that He may grow us together, that He may mature us together as a body and give us both the will and the strength to do what pleases Him. He has already promised that He would and He is faithful. So we have not because we ask not. So let's ask Him now. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Father, we thank you for this reminder for your, from your word about what it means for elders to be qualified to lead your people, to be among your people, to lead in a way that says, imitate us as we imitate Christ. Not perfect men, but perfect men who are f- imperfect men who are following the perfect man. And Jesus, you are yourself leading and serving us through your word through your sacraments, through your discipline. I pray, God, that we would, all of us, receive it willingly today. Make us, form us, mature us, and here today, God, bathe us and feed us. We love you and it's all for your sake. For the sake of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.